So uh, last weekend, we started a series, and we called it Liar. And we talked about, we're, it, the series is really examining some of the most common lies that the enemy tells. And Satan tells us a lot of lies, but there's some foundational lies that he tells. And the first one we looked at last weekend was that, God, that he doesn't want you to trust God's word or God's love. He doesn't want you to trust, essentially he doesn't want you to trust God's word. And so essentially uh, he doesn't want you to trust that God's word can be, you can trust God's word and you can trust that he loves you. This weekend we want to look at another uh, lie that the enemy tells, and it's that God grades on a curve. Now, if you were taking classes, and I was telling uh, the, the audience yesterday night that when I was uh, taking classes, I, uh, I, would, I have a degree in electrical mechanical technology, and I took a strength of materials class. Now, that's not impressive. It really does. I, I mean, when I say it, I say, wow, you're pretty impressive. No, um, but... I took a class in strength of materials, and I remember it was a hard class, and I remember that some of the tests we took, the major tests we took, the first question we would ask each other is, do you think he'll grade it on a curve? We were hoping he would. Now, grading on a curve is obviously just the professor, he'll take, they'll take the test scores, find the average, and give a grade, grades according to how many students scored above or below the average. And so, you know, you always have the student in there that can't help himself. He's going to get an A, you know. Or the mother that decides she's going to go back to school and get her education and throws it off for everyone else. But for the rest of us, we, we, are, we are in school and we're thinking, uh, if I could just be above the curve, I'm in good shape. Even if I bomb the test, it doesn't really matter. Now, if I were to take a poll, if I were to go to the soccer complex, no one's there right now because they just drove by. There are a lot of times, but they're not today. Uh, or down to the mall, and I would just ask two questions. I would say, if, if you were to die today, would you go to be with God in heaven? For those people who say, yes, I believe in God and I believe in heaven, most of them would say, I hope so, or yes, I am, or something along those lines. For those, for those people, if we were to ask them a second question and say, well, okay, if God was at the gate of heaven and saying, why should I let you, and what would you say? Most people would say, I believe in you. Even more now, because I, you know, you're right there. And so now I really believe in you. Um, I, I, I go to church. I went to church. Um, I gave. I served. I, I did all these things. And so essentially what we're saying is, God, I have a resume here, and this is why you should let me in. This is a very common view. In other words, what people are saying is, I deserve to be in here because I'm above the curve. And I think, I hope, I pray that you grade upon a curve, that I've done enough. And, more importantly, I think there's a whole bunch of people that are a lot worse off than me. So I'm better than they are. I mean, I'm no Hitler, and, you know, Hitler and Pol Pot and some of these other guys have really helped me out a lot. So I think I'm okay. I really do. And that is a very, very common view. Here's what I found. Maybe you would agree. This is... For me, and I think hopefully you may see yourself here, I find that I'm very, very um, forgiving, gracious with myself and my sins, but I'm pretty judgmental and pretty picky and pretty judge. I, I can, and, and for the same sin. In other words, if somebody's committing a certain sin, I could look at it and say, oh, you know, oh, yeah. 
But if it's me, it's just, well, you know, you had a bad day or, you know, they shouldn't have pushed you or, you know, there's always an excuse. I can make excuses for my sin, but I'm quick to play judge and jury for others. And when you get into this performance thing, when you get into this curve, here's what happens. When, when if God does great on a curve, right, if he does do that, what do you want everyone else in the class to do? I mean, if it's just based upon a set grade, and if you get a 90 or 95, you get an A or whatever, and it, you get, everybody in the class could get a 95 or a 90, and everybody gets an A, right? Or it's, yeah, only a few people are going to get an A and a B and a C, and the rest are going to be, you know, D and F. And, and you go, okay, so what do you want if you're in that class? You want other people to do badly, because that's good for you. And, and essentially, that's what, how it plays out. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story in the New Testament where Jesus basically kind of plays this out. He kind of says, okay, let's talk about this whole view of where does right, how does righteousness come to a person? How does a person made right? What does that look like? And it's interesting because this view of God grading on a curve is not new to our day. It was, um, it was very common in that day too. And I want to read uh, in Luke chapter 18. It's on page 800 of the Chair Bible. So you can look in the Chair Bible or look for Luke 18 verse 9. Now, we had a person who was serving last weekend and she said to me, she said... Um, I hope I didn't do anything wrong. And I said, well, what would you do? You know? She says, well, somebody didn't have a Bible. And I told them they could have it. I said, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you're here and you don't have a good Bible, there's a chair Bible, and those are good Bibles. Take it. The only thing I'll ask you to do is read it. Use it. If you're not using it, bring it back here. But use it because I think it, it will help you. So I want to read from Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Notice what it says here. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in our day and age, the Pharisees, good guy or bad guy? He's a bad guy, right? We think of the teachers of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, as being the bad guys. Why? Because they were after Jesus. They were responsible for Jesus, you know, ultimately, you know, being, you know, there's many people responsible for Jesus going to the cross, but they were part of it. So we see them as the bad guys. In that day, in the days of Jesus, they were the superstars. They were the righteous cream of the crop. They were at the top of the ladder. They were knocking it out of the park. A Jewish mother, if she had a son, she would say, I pray that my son will be a Pharisee. They were the best. Tax collectors, 
They were the worst. Now, in our day and age, we don't think much of a tax, you know, think of the tax collectors, they're kind of amoral or immoral, you know, we just don't think of them as being terribly bad people. But in that day, they were. They, they, would, uh, they would collect the taxes for the Roman government. They would take as much as they wanted off the top. And you really didn't have an argument. I mean, you can argue with them. It's basically they, you, you had to pay them. And, and you, you know, you've been in situations where you, you know you're getting gouged and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, it was one of those things. So people hated the tax collectors. They absolutely hated them. No Jewish mother said, I hope my son grows up to be a tax collector because they were absolutely hated by the people. So if that's the case, and we just read this parable, uh, then if God grades on a curve, then the Pharisee, uh, is in and the tax collector is out. And if you read through the tax collector, he knows he's at the bottom rung of the righteous ladder. I mean, there's no question. You don't have to convince him. He's ab- absolutely sure of that. And here's the first principle, and this is important for us to hear. God doesn't accept us based upon our performance. God is not accepting you into heaven because of your performance. Let me say it one more time. God doesn't accept you based upon your righteousness, your performance. He's not going to look at your resume and say, well, that's a great resume. You deserve to be in heaven. But there's probably 80 or more percent of people in this town. If you were to ask them, they would talk about their performance, their righteousness, their accomplishments. They would say, I'm a good person. I go to church. I believe in God. I'm better than most. I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. I'm above the curve. That's what they're saying. And if that's the case, then it seems like the Pharisee is in. He's got it wrapped up. Uh, he, and, and the other thing, too, is he probably, he didn't do everything he claimed, but he probably did most of what he claimed. He was a righteous person. He was somebody who lived an exemplar life, probably. But the tax collector was a mess. He's skulking around. He's not able to lift his eyes to heaven. Uh, he was a man filled with shame. And Jesus makes this shocking statement. And when the people that day heard Jesus say that, they probably thought, no, you got it backwards. And here's what he says. I tell you, this sinner, speaking of the tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. Now, how is that possible? How is that possible? How is it possible that the tax collector... uh, was justified before God. People, when they heard this, they would have been absolutely stunned. They would have said, no, it can't be. What are you, what are you talking about? This is rocking our world. This is, and we have, to, we have to say, okay, so how in the world, what is Jesus saying? How, how are we to understand what he's saying here? Because he's saying something that's, just going against the, the flow of, of the culture in that day and our day, too. So I want you to jump back to Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in page 736 of your chair Bible. And I want to just talk for a minute about the Sermon on the Mount um, as you're turning there. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, found in both Matthew and Luke. And essentially, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and it starts with the Beatitudes. Remember the Beatitudes, blessed are you when, blessed are you, blessed are you. And then Jesus does some teaching, and it's some of the most powerful teaching in all of Scripture. And Jesus is on a mountainside, and he's teaching people. And he had many, many teachings, and these are compiled in Matthew and Luke, and we have a, an account of what took place. So Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, shortly after the Beatitudes. 
He says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys the laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now it seems though, the last couple of verses I read, it seems like Jesus is making a case for living like a Pharisee and living like a scribe. He's saying, you know, teach the law and follow the law, which is what the scribes and Pharisees tried to do. But then he says this, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law, the scribes, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. I believe one of the major reasons that Jesus gave the whole Sermon on the Mount was not... You could read the Sermon on the Mount and you could come to a place and say, all right, Jesus is just showing me that uh, the scribes and the Pharisees are here and they're really righteous And I just need to go here. I need to amp it up a little bit. I need to try a little bit. Wasn't it uh, Avis that had the the used car? They used to have a tagline, we try harder. (laughs) And some people are Avis Christians. They're saying, okay, the scribes and Pharisees are here, but I'm going to try it just a little bit harder. My problem is I'm, I'm just slacking off a little bit. And if I kick it up a little bit, I'll just be enough. And so what Jesus is saying there, some people think, in the whole Sermon on the Mount, they're saying what Jesus is showing us is we have to just try a little bit harder. We just have to live a little, little bit better and a little more righteously, and we're just a little bit off. Or try, and, 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 and I don't think that's what he's saying, because frankly, notice what he says in, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you read a little further, he says, he says, don't murder. And most of us would say, I'm good there. <laughs> Some of us would go, well, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> you never know who you're talking to, you know, in an audience. But he says this. He says, don't murder. But then he says, if you are angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Ever been angry with someone? Right? And then he goes on, he says, you know, don't commit adultery. You say, good. <laughs> I'm good there. But he says, but you, if you look with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. You go, oh, crap. You know, what am I going to do here? You know, it's so, so essentially what Jesus is doing, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount is he's doing this. He's saying you're never going to reach it. You're never going to accomplish it. You're never going to perfectly keep the law. You're ne- you, you, you say you don't murder. You're right, you don't murder, but you murder in your heart. You say you don't, you, you don't commit adultery. You do it in your heart. In other words, you're not keeping the spirit of the law. It goes deeper than just the essence of the law. There's a spirit of the law. In other words, you can't keep it. I want you to see from the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's what Jesus said. I want you to see that you'll never keep it. That's why Jesus uh, makes a statement in a moment. So uh, Jesus wants us to see the incredibly high standard of uh, uh, keeping the law, that we can't do it. So we have a problem. And Jesus has come. uh, He he wants us really, I think, to come to the place of the tax collector. And what was the place of the tax collector? I'm dead. I'm a sinner. I don't measure up. I've fallen short. 
really short. I'm on the bottom rung of a righteous ladder. I don't have any chance at all. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. He wants us to see that we'll never do it. And then Jesus says this. And this is the first part of that passage in Matthew. He says, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. What Jesus is saying there is, you can't keep it, but I will. Remember the temptation last weekend? Jesus is fasting for 40 days and then all of a sudden the enemy is tempting Him and testing Him. And what did Jesus do? He passed the test. Test, pass. Test, pass. Test, pass. And now He's saying, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to keep it. I came to fulfill it. And, you know, Tim Keller says, and I love the way he summarizes it, Jesus came to live the life we should have lived. And to die the death we should have died. And I think that's what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount. I came to live the life you can't live. I came to live a perfect life. There's no curve here. There's, God doesn't grade on a curve. You are either holy or you're not. And you're not holy. And it doesn't matter whether you're 99% holy and you're 1% not holy. Because frankly, you're not holy if you're, if you're uh, not completely holy. Well, let's go back to the praying men the two uh, men who went to the temple that day. So Jesus makes this incredible statement. What we thought was, what we thought was wrong. We thought it was all about, and this is what, where the men were in that day, in that society, that's where we are today. We, we think, or we thought, it's all about my performance. It's all about my behavior. It's all about me keeping the law, following the rules, being good enough, uh, believing in God, all, you, know, what, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you want to do. But we, we didn't realize that Jesus is saying it's not about what you're doing, it's what He's done for you. What were the last words that Jesus said on the cross? Do you remember? He's hanging on the cross. He said, it's finished. It's done. It's complete. It's over. And, and, and the tax collector found the secret to salvation. He humbly threw himself to the mercy of God. And that's where we find grace. We find grace when we humble ourselves before God. And we find Jesus our Savior when we go to the cross. And so the second principle is this, that God saves us when we see our need and humbly call out to Him. Salvation's never been based upon keeping the law by being good, by being better than others. Salvation's always been, look, been by looking to, by simple faith to Jesus. Just like, do you remember um, when Jesus was crucified? And he had two criminals, one on either side of him. And as you read through the Gospel accounts, it seems as though what's going on there is the criminals are, are kind of mocking Jesus out. Now think about that. I, you know, as I was preparing, I was thinking about that. I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out. They're being crucified. Just like Jesus. Nails through their wrists, probably. Nails through their feet. And to breathe, you have to push up and pull up so you can catch your breath and you go down. Right? And every time you have to talk, you, when, when you're talking, you're exhaling which means you have to inhale right? every time you do that. So they're, they're using their strength to mock Him. That just seems totally messed up to me. I'm sitting there, if I'm being crucified, I would just want to die. I really don't really have... I mean, where do you have to be that you're criticizing someone else while you're dying? But it says in the text that... For some reason, this one criminal came to his senses. 
And he said to the other criminal, he says, you know what? We deserve to be here because we sinned. He's innocent. And then he says to Jesus, when you come to your, your father's house, remember me. And Jesus says what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What was the criminal doing? He was saying, I'm dead. I'm in deep trouble. I don't have any hope at all. Jesus, this this is it. You're my only hope. What What did the tax collector say? I'm dead. I'm in trouble. I have no hope. And Jesus said, two men went into the temple to pray. One man walked out and found forgiveness. If you think God grades on a curve, it's very hard to come to a place where you, if you, it's hard to come to a place where you see your sin, where you see your lostness. You see, when it's all about you and your performance, it's all about you and your performance. You don't think you're that bad. You don't, you, you can always find somebody who's doing worse than you. You can always find a bunch of people that are doing worse than you. And that's where Phariseeism comes in. That's where legalism comes in. But those of us who have who've come to the cross, those of us who have come to our knees, those of us who see our sin, those of us who ex- have experienced that, that Christ came to earth and He gave His life, that He gave the greatest sacrifice that He ever could, that, that He who knew no sin became sin for us, that greater love has no one than this, that He would give up His life for His friends. And we weren't even His friends. We were His enemies. We weren't looking for Him. He came looking for us. And we, we understand forgiveness because we've been forgiven. We understand love because we've been loved. We understand sacrifice because He sacrificed for us. And so we have a whole different posture. We have a dope. Here's what I'm saying. When you go into the temple to pray and you're a Pharisee, you brag about yourself and you cut other people down. Because you have to. But here's the thing. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be a lot of people like that. He says many. Do you know what's bad? It's bad when you're really trying to climb hard up a ladder and you get to the top and you say, Oh, crap. I'm against the wrong wall. And Jesus says, many will come to me that day and say, we cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. We did this in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't know you. Your ladder is against the wrong wall. This Pharisee walked out thinking, everything's okay. And it wasn't. He seemed comfortable putting the tax collector down. And that's the third principle. When you think you're righteous, you can become very critical of others. Two men went to the temple to pray, but only one left forgiven. They both were sinners, but only one, the tax collector, saw his sin. He saw his need for forgiveness. The the tax collector saw Jesus and he he knew that his forgiveness could only come through God. What Jesus does is so incredible because not only does he take away our sins, but he gives us his righteousness. Remember what Jesus said? 
your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And it's never going to do it. You're never going to do it. But if your righteousness is Christ's righteousness on your behalf, if you get His grade, you pass. Not because you pass, because He passed for you. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. Not only does He take your sins away, but He gives you His righteousness. It's two parts. So I want to close by asking you just one question. Have you ever prayed the sinner's prayer? Have you ever come to a place? Because you might have walked in here thinking, I mean, listen, I'm, I, I'm not kidding. You could do a survey. And I don't know what it would be in this audience. Hopefully it's not 80%. But uh, you may have walked in and say, I'm, I'm doing okay. Look, I'm at church. I gave this morning. I was on time. I believe in God. I served at Easter. My name was on the screen. It scrolled up. There I am. Check. Resume. Right? All those things are good. And you may walk out and think, everything's great. I hope that if you walked in today like that and you had this resume that today you just started ripping it up in your mind, in your heart. He said, it's not about me, it's about what He did for me. And I need to call upon Him. And you know what? I just want to say this, guys, that's a hard thing for guys to do. It's hard for guys to admit they need help. I mean, guys will walk around with, with bones sticking out of their skin. And you say, yeah, maybe you ought to go see a doctor. Yeah, I'm going to wait a while to see. It might heal up. Will you come to a place like the tax collector and say this? Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. Because if you do that, you will be forgiven. You'll find your forgiveness. If you want to walk out and keep your resume intact, you may think you're okay, but I guarantee you one day you're going to find your ladder's against the wrong wall, and that will be a terrible day. So I'm going to lead you in a sinner's prayer. It may be that some of you want to pray that prayer today, and there's nothing special about the words. God knows your heart. But if you just bow your head and pray these words in your own heart and mind, and if this reflects your heart this morning, you've never prayed to receive Christ, today's the day. So Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has never prayed the sinner's prayer, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that today that they would look to you and they would find their forgiveness in you. They would stop trying to self-save themselves they would realize that salvation only comes through Christ. That He lived a perfect life. He kept the law perfectly for us because we couldn't. And He paid the price for our sins. Father, help us to see that we desperately need a Savior. And I realize, Father, that uh, there may be some here today that have never called upon You and they may want to pray, Jesus, I realize today for the first time I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And I can't save myself. And I need help. And you're my help. And you're my hope. And as you gave your life for me, I give my life to you. And I ask that you come into my life and change me. And save me. Forgive me. And Father, for those who prayed that prayer, I just thank you that your word is true. That whoever calls out to the name, on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray that they would let somebody know, somebody they know and care about, somebody that loves them, and let them know that I trust Jesus today. I called upon Him.
And Father, for the rest of us who know what it means to understand what it means to be set free because we've called upon You, because we've seen our sin, and we're horrified by it. But we realize there's a Savior, and we're set free. We thank You for the day that You became real in our lives and set us free. May we have the grace and the mercy for others that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.